Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Good afternoon and welcome to this week's edition of Midweek in the Word, presented by Faith Bible Church here in Lincoln, Nebraska. My name is Jared Erke, and I am the technical coordinator here at Faith Bible Church. Happy to be pinch-hitting again this week as your host. Normally, this podcast is hosted by Faith Bible Church's adult ministries pastor, Pastor Brad Myers, and he and our preaching pastor, Pastor Tom Rempel, dialogue about what we've been studying in God's Word. Um, Pastor Tom is off getting some needed R&R with family this week, so Pastor Brad will be stepping up to carry the load today. Um, And with that, I'm pleased to welcome our adult ministries pastor, Pastor Brad Myers, to the podcast today. Welcome, Brad. Well, hey, Jared. Uh, Thanks for your willingness to jump on. And yeah, I would ditto that. Hopefully, hopefully Tom's having a a relaxing time getting so much needed uh, vacation. I know he was excited about this trip, so we'll have to ask him how it went when he's back on the podcast again next week. Yeah, definitely. I hope he's having a refreshing time for sure. Mm. Um, Just in case you're new to us, we are currently in the middle of what has been a fascinating journey through the entire Bible. We've titled the sermon series, Route 66, Genesis to Revelation. Every sign points to Jesus. Along the way, we are discovering the characteristics of God, learning about who we are as his created mankind, and seeing how all of Scripture ultimately points us to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We started in Genesis, and last week we found ourselves in the book of Jonah. And if you're just jumping on the bandwagon, that is wonderful. Welcome aboard. (laughs) So, Brad, in reference to your message on Jonah, um, what did we learn about God last Sunday? I I think there was two things that really struck me uh, that we learned about God uh, from the life and the story of Jonah. Uh, The first one is that, that that God has always cared about all the peoples of the earth. You know, I mean, you get into Genesis and and you move from the whole world being created to zooming in on the specific people, you know, Abraham's descendants um, moving through Genesis. And then basically most of the Old Testament focuses in on the Israelites, the people of God and how he interacts with them. But every once in a while you get these kind of the window opening up a little bit and you see God interacting with other peoples of the world as well. And so I think it was good to be reminded that even in the Old Testament, where we tend to sometimes forget about it. Uh, God had a care uh, for the whole, you know, all the people of the earth, and and He showed grace to these Ninevites, um, the 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 city of Nineveh, and and the greater nation of Assyria, who even though they were the the enemies of the people of Israel, uh, God still still showed them grace, which I I think was important as we think about the Great Commission and um, you know Abraham supposed to have been a blessing to all the peoples of the earth that we ultimately see fulfilled in Christ. Uh, but secondarily, I think it it also revealed, you know, as we got kind of an introspective look at Jonah's heart a bit, uh, that God really cares about our attitude in obedience. Um, you know, that Jonah begrudgingly did what God had commanded him to do the first time in Jonah 1, finally in Jonah 3. Uh, but even there, uh, the, the rest of the story plays out and really shows that that God cares about our heart and cares about our motives in obedience. And I I think that was a good thing to be reminded of in the story of Jonah. Absolutely. And I think that ties right into the next question. So what did this, what did the story of Jonah reveal about man or us? If, if there was one thing that I I really hoped uh, came through in the message and, and hit home with, with people from the life and the story of Jonah, it, it was that, 
there are really two ways to miss God's grace and the gospel in our own lives. You know, the first that we normally think of is Jonah in one in chapters one and two, where he's in rebellion against God, where he's he has he wants nothing to do with God's plan for his life. Um, and, th- and that's the one that we typically think of. But the second way is Jonah in in chapters three and four, um, in that we can miss the grace of God. We can miss the gospel um, thinking that we're good in our in our own righteousness and our own power. Uh, because we deserve God's grace, you know some of those attitudes that we saw in Jonah. Um, I think I think we can identify with as well. It reminds you of the first few chapters of Romans. You know, if you think back to when Tom was preaching through Romans, you know Paul goes after after the 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 life of the heathens. You know, the life of those that aren't following God um, and and the way they live their lifestyle, and that that's not appropriate. But then he turns and he pivots and he talks about the Jews. Um, seeking to justify themselves um, in chapters one, two, and three of Romans, and then we we get that 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 passage, you know, Romans three twenty three, uh, that everyone thinks of, um, and and it's just this this great culmination, and that's a very similar strategy to what we see in Jonah, and so so I hope that that came home for people um, that that we need to be careful that we don't fall into either of those temptations when it comes to God's grace and the gospel in our own lives. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And so how would you say this story pointed us to Christ? You know, I mean, the the easiest, easiest answer is, you know, God's grace was personified in the person and work of Christ. You know, there's no clearer place to see God's forgiveness and, and God's willingness to pay the penalty for our sins than in the person and work of Christ on the cross. Um we didn't spend a whole lot of time highlighting that uh, other than obviously referencing the story of the, the prodigal son and that being Christ's story, anticipating his work on the cross on our behalf. Uh, the other thing that I didn't get the chance to really highlight in the message was, was Jesus in, in Matthew 12, 38 through 41, if you have the time to go check it out yourself, actually references Jonah. Um, and, and the people, the Pharisees, are asking him to perform a sign for them to prove his ministry. Uh, and and he, he calls them an evil and adulterous generation because they're seeking a sign. And he says, the only sign they will get is the sign of the prophet Jonah, uh, because he was in three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so Christ himself in, in the gospel of Matthew, and I think in, in the gospel of Mark and Luke as well, if I remember correctly, uh, actually looks back at the story of Jonah and says, this is a sign. This is, this is a type. We've talked about that in a past episode on the podcast. This is a type that's going to look forward to the anti-type of Christ. This speaks about me. So even Jonah's time in the belly of the fish, Christ says, is a testament, is a sign to the fact that Christ will come and spend three days uh, in the earth before being raised again. Um, so I didn't get the chance to really highlight that much in the message or talk about it, but, uh, but yeah, that that really points us to the person and work of Christ in the New Testament as well. Mm-hmm, absolutely, I feel like we could just talk about this for hours and still not <laughs> quite, you know, grasp it. Maybe that's it. That's it. And you know, Tom will tell you, and I, you know, I know our listeners have heard it probably before from him that the toughest thing about preparing to give a message is you've only got that forty minute window. You know, you study for however many hours and you have all this extra information, uh, which you need in your study. And then unfortunately, you can't deliver everything all at once. So hopefully, hopefully this podcast has proven to be a a place where we can deliver a little bit of extra, extra good content uh, on the messages to our listeners as well. 
Yes, hopefully, hopefully for sure. So, well, thank you for that. Now in your message Sunday, you noted how how atypical or how weird it is that the storytelling of Jonah was for a prophetic book, and, and you really highlighted the twist at the end, and I really, I really appreciated uh, your take on that and how you presented that. And on last week's podcast, you attributed that to something called irony. So obviously this was a critical hinge for interpreting the book of Jonah, so I thought it would be a good thing to focus on this week. Um, so can you start us off like with the basics? What is irony in a story? Well, I, I first just want to say thank you for that. I, my, my, my big desire in the message was to try and present Jonah, which is almost a too familiar story to, mo- to most of our listeners, likely, where they've heard it many, many times before, and try and help us to see it the way we originally would have seen it. And, and yeah, it, it, it starts off much like every other book. Uh, with the word of the Lord came to Jonah as a prophetic book, but then it it, it totally deviates from that. <laughs> from there on out, everything changes. And and to to your point, that is that is irony. Uh, and the irony, uh, really by by definition, is is a surprising turn or a reversal of expectations in in a story. I mean, maybe maybe we've talked, or maybe you you're familiar with irony from other studies in literature. It's used in other, especially fiction uh, books in that we're familiar with. Um, but biblically, uh, it's still the same kind of concept where it's a surprise turn or a reversal of expectations in either the dialogue or the plot of a biblical story. And the point is, it's meant to convey the opposite of what is stated. You know, so much like right now, one of the things that's very confusing to my four-year-old at, at home is, is sarcasm. And he's like, you said this. And I said, well, yeah, I said that, but I meant, I meant the opposite. <laughs> and, and he doesn't quite grasp that yet. Uh, but in a lot of ways, that's the way irony is used in the biblical story, uh, either in the dialogue or in the, the plot and the way the story develops. I've heard sarcasm doesn't work very well in marriages either sometimes. <laughs> That's, I, I, I make no uh, uh, gesture at, at giving marital advice on this podcast, but uh, <laughs> limiting the sarcasm can be a good thing there too. I won't deny it. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Um, so in the, when we're talking about irony, why is it so important to note the irony in a story? And, and what is the interpretive significance of irony? That's, you know, that's the key, right? You know, kind of like what I was talking about as far as sarcasm, um, because irony is intended to mean the opposite of what is actually being stated. uh, If we miss it, it's really easy to get the interpretation wrong because because the words say one thing. Like I said, just just like in, in conversation, if you're saying something sarcastically and everybody else in the room doesn't pick up on the sarcasm. They're going to misunderstand what you're saying pretty drastically. They're going to think exactly the opposite um, because it's it's a literary device intended to convey the opposite meaning. So that's that's why it's so important is is you can get you really off the on the wrong track if you miss the fact that the author is using irony uh, in a given situation. And I think I think the biggest example of this from Jonah that just really struck me was Jonah's prayer when he was in the fish. And just, I mean, I've read that before and thought, man, you know, Jonah's praying. This is great. You know, look, he's praying. He's praying to the Lord. He's he's reminding us that salvation is from the Lord. And just that noting that the irony was that that was basically a Pharisee's prayer just really hit mm. me. It's just like, man. And that's, just- and that's a really good good note too, Jared, because what what irony does is is it really it really packs a punch. 
you know, in much the way that, you know, like political satire or, you know, comic strips can can really drive a point home in the effectiveness of of the the comedy. Irony kind of does that same thing where a, a good use of irony just really drives the point home. And so so that's why it's so important not to miss the use of irony in 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 the story because it is it is a masterful literary device uh, intended to really drive that point home in a way that just saying it, you know, in a normal way wouldn't do. Oh yeah, and it just makes the scripture come alive too in, in yeah. ways that maybe it hadn't before. And so like, I mean, I have read that prayer before in Jonah and I can honestly say I didn't I didn't catch the sarcasm there. I I know the first time when I when I read through it or I didn't catch the irony there. So how do we identify irony when we're reading it in the Bible? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um I, I think there's two key things that are worth considering. The first is, and we've said it before, is is context. You know, what is going on contextually? Um, first, in the book of Jonah, we look at it and we go, okay, what is this story conveying? And, and maybe we miss it on the first telling, which is part of the reason I did the message the way I did. And it isn't until we get to the end that we realize what's going on. So that would be an example of, of literary context. Understanding the whole book all of a sudden sheds light on it. Secondarily, that, that context of, of um, exploring things uh, in in their historical or biblical context, you know, knowing that other prophetic books start very similarly but play out very differently. Um, so, like, so like one of the things to help us identify is is when things seem really out of place with the historical or biblical themes. So, so in in the book of Jonah, you're you're exploring this biblical theme. He's a prophet of God. The book starts out the same, but then he starts acting in ways that are very, very strange. And the details that the biblical author chooses to include seem very, very strange. And so, so when we look at the context and when we look at other biblical books and the way they play out, all of a sudden we start to go, why is this different? You know, what, what is out of place about this story? And, and that's a, that's kind of a red flag saying, okay, there's maybe some use of irony in this. Mm Mm-hmm. So how frequently is this irony, is irony like this used in the Bible? I, you know, I think, I think it's, it's probably not in every book. Um, I, I, I didn't do an exhaustive study um, on, that, on that question in particular, but, but it is used rather frequently. You know, we noted, noted it in the book of, of Jonah. Um, you, think of, you think of it in the book of, of Job, where the whole story of Job, Jonah's, or Job is responding to his friends by saying, um, basically, we'll put God on trial and ask him the questions. If only I could ask him the questions. And the irony is at the end of the story, God shows up, but he's the one putting Job on trial in a lot of ways. And there's this flipping of the script at the end of that story. Um, you know, I think of the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 18, um, and he's, he's talking about, you know, he's telling the other the, uh, the prophets of, of Baal to call out to their gods you know, and he says, maybe he's away or maybe he's using the restroom or and, and that's sarcasm. You know, obviously, Elijah doesn't believe that Baal exists, you know. <laughs> so um, even even the story of Joshua, where you have uh, in, in Joshua 2, you've got Rahab, a, a Canaanite repenting and becoming a part of the people of God. And then in Joshua 7, you've got um, Achan, who is is judged. And so you get the, the people of God, Achan, being killed 
in the land, and you've got this this uh, pagan woman Rahab being saved. It's this odd irony that that defies what we would expect uh, as the people enter the land of Israel. The story of Esther uh, with Mordecai and Esther is dripping with sarcasm, uh, with irony. Uh, Jesus uses it a lot in the Gospels. A lot of the stories that we see, particularly in Mark, uh, as as Jesus is telling stories and as Jesus is interacting with people, we see the disciples missing the point and the the lowest of the low, the sinners getting it. That's that's an irony. Um, Paul also uses it in in the epistles um, to kind of make his point. You know, I think of First Corinthians, Galatians, a few different places uh, where he he defeats the false arguments and the false teachers by highlighting how inconsistent their arguments are, you know? And so he'll use something like uh, in Galatians, fulfilling the law of Christ because he's combating um, a false law, the, the Judaizers in the book of Galatians. And so it's, it's pretty frequent. If you keep your eyes out for it, you'll notice it in a lot of different genres and in a lot of different books of the Bible. Uh, so it's something we need to keep our eye out for. Absolutely. And so I may have jumped the gun here just a little bit, but in the, in the story of Jonah, where do we see irony? I, I think there's a few different places that it really stands out to me in the story. The first is uh, you get this uh, uh, juxtapositioning or odd pairing of Jonah and the sailors in chapter one. You get the sailors responding to God, to the storm, to Jonah, and ultimately to wor- in worshiping God. And you get Jonah responding poorly to God, poorly to the sailors, and and ultimately being thrown overboard. And that's an intentional, what's going on? This is a reversal of roles. Uh, you already mentioned uh, the salvation belongs to the Lord in in chapter 2, verse 9. And he, he's saying something true, but probably he's not fully grasping what he means. He's It's, it's truer than he knows, uh, maybe is the right way to think about that. So that's a use of irony. Uh, in the In the last couple of chapters, you have the Ninevites who were condemned to death, um, they repent and live. And you have Jonah who is saved by God, but longing to die. <laughs> this really odd reversal of characters uh, in that story. And I, I think those are some of the big ones, though there's probably some more subtle ones we could mention. Mm-hmm. So what helped you pick out the irony in, in Jonah? Yeah, we've, you know, we've talked about the the context being king um, in this situation and and in a lot of ways, it was it was multiple readings. You know, it's just reading over the book over and over again. There's there's no specific thing exactly that you can look for because irony, in a lot of ways, is subtle. Um, it's it's more easily identified uh, the more familiar we get with the biblical and cultural norms. Um, so the more the more quickly we realize, uh, for instance, the New Testament in the Gospels. I was talking about Jesus's use of irony in the stories. Um, if we understand that in a culture where the Pharisees and the Sadducees were like the best of the best, they understood the, the Old Testament, they, they were very learned, they were very intelligent, um, and they were looked up to by a whole society. If we understand that cultural thing, then all of a sudden when Jesus comes in and the people that get it are the lowest of the low and the people he chastises are the best of the best, you know, our familiarity with, with the cultural norms of the day, then all of a sudden tip our hat to the fact that, that this, this is a strange way for this to play out. And so, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things that the more you read, the more of that kind of thing you see. And, uh, you know, it puts, it puts context as, as a key aspect as well. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I think you've already touched on this, but what was the significance of irony in the story of Jonah, and how do we interpret it in that story? Yeah, you're right. We 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 touched on it a little bit earlier, um, but I think the big thing is that the irony really tips us off that we're supposed to consider Jonah different than the other prophets. You know, we're looking at it, we're going, this seems strange, and and the the extensive use of irony says, okay, okay, Jonah is playing a somewhat different role in this story. Uh, than we're typically using it. In a lot of ways, it forces us to consider Jonah um, as as the foil, if you will. If you're familiar with literary devices, the foil is kind of that secondary character, not the main character, but the secondary character in a story um, who is intentionally contrasted with the main character to highlight an aspect of the main character. And so in a lot of ways, the use of irony all of a sudden starts to put Jonah as the secondary character rather than God, the main character of the story, in order to emphasize God's grace and Jonah's lack of graciousness, you know, God's salvation and care for the people and Jonah's self-serving care for the plant. You know, he's, he's a secondary character that is then meant to highlight the attributes and the character of God, the primary character of the story. And, and the irony really highlights, it, it makes it almost the, the differences palatable, you know, so that you can really get a sense for who is God in light of who Jonah isn't um, in his character. And I think that really, um, really was the, the significance of the irony uh, to drive that point home for us in in Jonah. So do you have any final thoughts you want to share before we look ahead to Nebuchadnezzar? You know, uh, I, I think the big thing is is again, you know, kind of like we talked on about about last week, don't don't get too intimidated by this subject. Um, in a lot of ways, this is more intuitive. Then you think, you know, we tell stories to kids from a young age and, and, and we use these sort of devices. Um, we use this sort of storytelling. So it's, it's more intuitive maybe than you think, especially if, as you're going into a book, you've done a little bit of research, you know, you've watched the Bible project video to prepare you for the book. You've read some in your study Bible to get you an idea of the context of the book. You know, some of those kind of tips that we've talked about in the past. Um, so don't, don't be intimidated by it, um, but but do keep your radar up for it, you know, and when you do note it, um, really take some time to consider uh, what the author is trying to convey. Um, so, yeah, I think that's it. You know, don't 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 be intimidated, um, but appreciate it when you do come across it, um, because it is it is just amazing. And I I had a growing um, amazement for the storytelling in the book of Jonah as as I began to see this more and more in my study. This is fascinating stuff, uh, Pastor Brad, and I just thank you very much for your insight, and I think I speak on behalf of a lot of us that we really appreciated your presentation of Jonah last weekend. Um, it was just uh, very, uh, I don't know, very thought-provoking, and I think uh, just made a lot of us really think. So, thank Well, thank you, you, Jared, and uh, praise God. I, you know, I hope that, that it continues to to challenge and, and encourage people and, and that the Holy Spirit uses it in the lives of people at this yeah. time. Yeah, absolutely. So let's look ahead to this weekend's message. Uh, Pastor Tom will be back, and he'll be preaching on King Nebuchadnezzar. 
Or if any of you in ad- are Adventures and Odyssey buffs, Eugene Meltzner would say the correct pronunciation is Nebuchadnezzar Rezer, but I, <laughs> I would say that is neither here nor there right now. <laughs> Probably yes. not. Yes. So, so, Brad, you are our acting mediator today for Tom. So what would you say he is looking forward to most as he prepares to preach on Nebuchadnezzar? Always, always a little intimidating to speak on behalf of of Tom uh, himself, but he, yeah, he, he he sent me some notes of what he was thinking on this, and I I think he's looking forward to to just highlighting God's sovereignty again. You know, working through a a pagan king uh, that had no desire to follow God, and yet God uses him in such an amazing way um, in the lives of His people to to discipline them, really. Um, and then and then kind of the flipping of the script. Uh, how how God engages with this pagan king, um, highlighting uh, that that God has the power to save even the unsavable, uh, even the the worst king, if we think of him in that way as Nebuchadnezzar. So I think that's what Tom's really looking forward to highlighting on Sunday. And ha- any interpretive questions you think he's wrestling with the most? The, the you know the sense I got from from his note is is that the big one is just kind of the the strange season uh, that it is for Israel in exile, you know, that, that God uses this pagan King and, and turns his people over to this pagan King in a way of judging them and how, how, how God puts this, this vile and violent King over in authority, his people, um, is is really an interesting interesting theme in scripture that we have to wrestle with, and so uh, I think I think Tom would say that's still kind of the the interesting thing about his story. Mm-hmm. So, how would you say we could best prepare our hearts for this weekend's message? You know, it's it's never a bad thing uh, to consider in a season like ours uh, God's sovereignty, particularly I'd say. Um, Daniel, in, in a way no other book does, uh, we're going to be on Daniel, the book, for a couple of weeks, first Nebuchadnezzar, and then next week, um, or, or the following week, I'm trying to remember what week, we're going to actually talk about the character of Daniel as well. And Daniel, like no other book in the Bible, reminds us of God's sovereignty and authority in world political affairs, which I think is a good reminder for us in a season like this where there's political unrest while well, we've got an election year coming up and all those kind of things. And though the, the nation of Israel and the people of Babylon uh, were neither democracies or republics, I mean, they, they had no voice in their government. Yet what we do see in, in the story of Daniel is God's undeniable hand on the, the ruling authorities of this world, in spite of often their rebellion against him. And so what I would encourage us to do as we prepare our hearts is, is prepare for the way um, Daniel kind of challenges us and the way we see God uh, interacting with and working on the heart of this, this arrogant pagan ruler, Nebuchadnezzar. Well, that wraps up yet another week for us. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. And remember, if you are following along with our weekly reading plan, please be sure to read Daniel chapters 3 and 4 for this weekend. And as always, please do reach out to us with any questions that come to mind as you're reading. We would certainly love to hear from you. 
And for more information, check out our website at faithbiblelincoln.org, or you can find us on Facebook at Faith Bible Church, Lincoln, Nebraska. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at FBC Lincoln. Also, did you know you can listen to Faith Bible Church's sermons through a podcast feed? Uh, Search Faith Bible Church, Lincoln, Nebraska, wherever you get your podcasts, and find the one that has the black box with the white letters, and you'll receive weekly sermons to your mobile device. So do check that out. Uh, The church leadership team here wants you to know they will be praying for you as you take another step in your faith journey this week, and so be encouraged, and we hope you'll join us again next week for Midweek in the Word. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling.